I'm not a big fan of bed breakfast, I have to tell you. It sounds good in theory. I'm just not a huge fan. It's just everybody's up in your business. I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, hey, how was you? Was the night good? Do you need to, you know, come down? Can we get you some eggs? We have a pretty mean game of Jenga happening in the lobby tonight. If you want to come down. I heard you get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. Is everything okay? We're going to make a quick run to the stores or anything. What type of milk do you take? <laughs> We're playing Pinochle. The ladies will be coming over to play bridge, but we shouldn't be in y'all's way. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and even processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little fun along the way. Once again, I am joined by my co-host and dear friend, Reed Smith. Reed is a digital strategist, a social media expert, and he works with hospitals and health systems across the country. You can find him on Twitter, at Reed Smith. You can find him on LinkedIn or go to socialhealthinstitute.com. Reed, good morning. How's it going? Pretty good. Good, good, good. Uh, It is always good to be here, Chris. And of course, uh, for those listening, you can find Chris online uh, at Chris Boyer on Twitter, ChristopherBoyer.com on the uh, the interwebs. And of course, you can track him down on all the social platforms, including LinkedIn. So uh, great to be here. Yeah. Uh, yet another uh, another week has rolled by. The weeks are moving uh, rather quickly. It feels like at this point. So, uh, I you know we're moving pe- way past the baker's dozen is in our rearview mirror. Way past those of you that have listened uh, all the way through on any episode. Uh, if you find this valuable, we would certainly appreciate if you would recommend this to a friend, colleague, coworker, boss, spouse you know, whoever it is, but anybody you think that would find this interesting, uh, we would certainly appreciate the word of mouth recommendation. Absolutely. And also uh, another thing that we would appreciate if you don't mind is to uh, go out to iTunes and subscribe, uh, maybe rate and even review us on iTunes because we really feel that iTunes is a really great platform for us to um, to, to get the word out about our podcast to people that may not know us. And, you know, um, we're, we're pleased. We had another review, read um, on iTunes. That's right. We did. We are still, we are still five stars. We are still five stars. So you still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we want to thank that person. Uh, we don't know who it is. Everybody uses these really interesting ac- uh, names on iTunes. Flea 30 not sure who that is, but they say they really enjoyed the episode so far and have taken actionable information away each time they listened. Awesome. In particular, the COPE episode. They really liked that. They highly recommend it for anyone in marketing, content, blogging, etc. So thank you so much for that review. And we want to you know, just encourage others to keep sharing the love and let, let people know about how much value you get from us if you get value from us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you don't, you know, keep it to yourself. So, Reed, today's discussion. What's the topic we're going to talk about today? Oh, it's my favorite topic. We're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about apps. And I said that a little bit. Uh, well, okay. We're going to talk about apps. I'm not going to bias anything at this point. But obviously, apps have been around for for quite some time. Everybody uses them, whether you have an Apple, or an iOS device, or a uh, 
you know, Samsung or whatever it is, and you use Google Play or, you know, those types of things, people use apps. Uh, some of those obviously come on your phone, and but more importantly, the ones we're talking about are the ones that you electively download and use. And how that relates to, you know, specifically hospitals, healthcare, consumers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whoever the user may be of a healthcare hospital specific app. That's right. I mean, apps are part of a larger mobile strategy, um, and you know, we'll in other episodes we'll we'll get into the mobile health solutions, uh, telehealth, telemedicine. We talked mm-hmm. about patient portal and mobile access, uh, mobile devices. But really, what today we're going to be focusing in on are those those ones that are used mainly for marketing, communications, patient education, those types of apps that we're seeing that go out there into the marketplace. So, Reed, we've worked with a lot of organizations that have tried apps, maybe been successful with some. What are some of the general types of apps that we see that are out there? Well, I think you mentioned several. And so again, we're not going to, we're not going to cover maybe more of the clinical side of the equation, but if you start thinking about uh, some of the apps that we've seen, some of those reach the general population. So it's definitional content, it's education, uh, something that's very popular, not just in healthcare, but other places, but is wayfinding. You know, how do I get where I need to go and park and, you know, navigate? Uh, you know, hospitals are not necessarily the easiest places to get around. So that's, you know, it's a pretty good use case. And we've seen those on kiosk and now in mobile apps over the years. I've even seen, which I thought was a really great use case, is one specifically done for the legislative session. And so, you know, state level legislative mm-hmm. session. So legislative priorities from, like, say, a hospital district um, that, you know, they're able to take to those lawmakers. And so very, very specific use case, not a huge audience, but something that's very much, you know, a utility that, you know, somebody could get value from. And I've seen some also, I mean, obviously there's a service line campaign related apps like the uh, birthing apps, the what to expect when you're expecting stuff, uh, mm-hmm. orthopedic patient education. I've seen some apps that are more like, you know, where they have rehabilitation videos that they give to, you know, they encourage right. patients to go to. Right. Others that are more focused on wellness, like smoking cessation, walking, yeah. fitness type of apps. Yeah. Um, hospitals have sponsored those, and occasionally those are sponsored also with their like their clinically integrated networks or even their ACOs. Sure. Another one that I've seen too that that was it's been around for a while, and it, uh, it I'm blanking on who actually did it, uh, but anyway, it, it was done for the EMS population. So again, not so much a consumer, but a way that somebody that very much in a mobile uh, environment, you know, they're out um, running around the city, the county, whatever it may be. This is a way for them to see, you know, which uh, hospital location provided what types of services and to what degree. So mm-hmm. which one of them had a burn unit, which one of, you know, from a trauma perspective, they were able to do some of that. They were actually able to request life flight or the care flight type, you know, mm-hmm. from the app and some of those types of things. And so, again, a little bit of a different audience than the general population, uh, but something that, you know, probably had a great use case. Clearly, there's a huge market for apps, and we all have apps on our phones, and we've used them at mm-hmm. certain points in time. Before we get into, let's, you know, some of the strategies and, and philosophies around apps, let's also take a second to talk about the technical perspective. 
Now, I remember seeing Ed Bennett present with, uh, I forgot the, his co-presenters, but he presented a couple years ago how technically apps are built. Now, I'm not going to get into like the coding and stuff like that, but he really broke it down into three types of apps. The first is an app, a responsive website that looks like an app. So we've, we've talked about responsive websites, websites that are designed for mobile screens. The, what we're talking about here is a responsive website that's built to look like an app. Now, mm-hmm. many of you may may or may not know this. For those of you using Facebook on your phone, that's exactly what that is. Facebook created a responsive interface to their application that they have packaged up as an app. And so that's one of the technical ways that apps are built. Mm-hmm. Another one is uh, completely native. So it's written and programmed for your phone. It's downloaded. You download a bunch of information with it. It, it may occasionally go and sync with some data from the web, but you can actually run it locally. So if you think about it, for those of you who may have played some games, you know, like Candy Crush or whatever, think about that as like a completely native game. It's all downloaded to your comp- to your phone. It's there. You don't really need a continuous access to the internet to have that happen, unlike the responsive website piece. Mm-hmm. And then the third is more like a hybrid. It downloads sort of a structure that has information ar- around it that allows you to interface with the app, but it has to sync with the internet to actually be meaningful and useful. It really assumes that you have a connection. So a lot of times wayfinding is a good mm-hmm. example of that. Like even right. like Google Maps or Apple Maps is a one. You know, when you, right. you have that application, it has the ability to do searches. It has some information there. But really when you, when you click your location and it plots it out from where you're at, it syncs up with the web. It gets traffic information, that sort of thing. So that's like a hybrid app. So think of it as responsive website that looks like an app either or a completely native app or a hybrid app and so that in general kind of talks about the technical aspects of of the apps yeah and just to be clear i think it's important to point out that because we've talked a lot about this especially on like the cms episode and some of those that we were talking specifically about websites and the need for a responsive website that's not what you mean or what Chris means about a responsive website that looks like an app. So you can create a responsive website that is maybe mobile first or designed mobile first, but you're still browsing to that via your browser on your phone. And, you know, it looks like an app once you get there, but you're inside of an internet browser, mm-hmm. you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Now you can still bookmark that and it may look kind of like an app on your de- on your uh, uh, screen, mm-hmm. but you're really just launching a web browser every time you open that. Whereas to your point, Facebook, it's an app you download, but yet all the content's being populated via, you know, a responsive designed, you know, uh, asset, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. In general, that's kind of the technical side of the app. We won't get too technical. We won't get into the fact, you know, about, well, we'll, we'll we may address it, you know, that, you continue. You have to look at multiple operating systems, mobile operating systems. You have to kind of identify, you know, when the updates occur and how those updates affect the development of your app. But we won't. We really won't spend a lot of time on that. What we want to get into is like sort of more a strategic perspective of this. So let's first talk about gamification, because whenever you talk about apps, immediately many people go to this fact that apps have to have a level of gamification. What are your thoughts on that, Reed? I think it's a blanket statement that a lot of people like to use. I don't think it's wrong necessarily. So the idea there is 
I guess the motivating factors, they want people to continue to use their app, Mm -hmm. right? So there's got to be a hook or a reason that you continue to go back to this application. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, you know, gamification, obviously that's based off of the fact that, you know, games are something that people will continue to use over an extended period of time because you level up or you get points or it's a, you know, competitive type, you know, environment. Uh, that's what a lot of people are looking at. So it's like, how can we put that into this app to allow people or you know motivate people to come back over and over again? I think that works over a short period of time. I think at some point, the utility of the app has to provide real benefit. I, I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, a gamification is a way to bring utility, maybe in a forced way. Uh, if your app isn't right. useful or, or, or uh, it, for, for users to have then how are you going to keep bringing them back? How are you going to draw them back? There's other ways, right? There's like these notifications. You get those, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you open up your phone, it has a little one by it, says you have a notification. I, I've seen that happen in some uh, healthcare apps. I think an extreme situation around gamification and how it can be misapplied is I once saw um, a person that was running a CME program for a hospital, and he was really excited because he was sharing, showing off his app to me and how the app had... Uh, an ability for people to gamify, to actually do a game. It was almost like Angry Birds, but it was with cancer cells. And this was the front-end <laughs> interface to a CME application. And um, he was really excited about the front-end. He says, oh, all of our, you know, the residents that downloaded, they're playing this game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that, you know, in that particular case, you're that's an extreme absurdity of adding gamification to an app. Right. Well, and I think, too, uh, gamification to me feels very much uh, fad-based, right? So people are going to do it for a period of time, and then they're not going to ever again. Right. Just like you play games on your phone, and then after a while, it's kind of like, okay, you know, I like puzzles and, you know, um, things like that, you know. Well, I'll play those, you Mm -hmm. know, for a little bit, and then I go and try to find a different one. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, okay, I'm done trying to connect all the little red boxes and, you know, make them disappear or whatever, you know, kind of a deal. Or or I've finished all the levels or whatever. You know, some of the ones that are probably a little bit different are the traditional games, you know, like chess or something like that. But for the most part, you know, a gamification by definition, you know, you're going to do it for an intense period of time and then probably not very right. often after that. So I think, you know, uh, you know, moving kind of, you know, down the list here and thinking about you mentioned, you know, the strategic piece of this. That's really I think where a lot of this stands, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, we we mentioned a lot of different use cases and so the first part is, you know, what what are your business goals? You know, how does this fit within your marketing plan and what you're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And more granularly even within that, you know, who are you trying to, you know, interface with? You know. So don't just oh, we we need a nap. You know, and then you expect for that to work for patients, potential patients, caregivers, EMS, doctors, clinicians, and your staff. Yeah, that's probably a terrible idea, you know, to try to get everybody in one, you know, kind of a deal. Exactly. And added on to that, Reed, is you have also think about the user's needs, right? Is this going to be useful for the people using it? Would they use it? 
Are there other apps out there, you know, um, if you're considering, let's say, an, uh, what to expect when you're expecting app? There are dozens of them already out there. Are, is yeah. yours going to be any better? Is it going to be more useful? Is this right. a situation where, you know, that your audience is going to actually use it? We did a user test once in a hospital, and uh, it was to help uh, children or teens, I should say, with pulmonary challenges to kind of come back, check in, and, and track their progress. And the teens in the room in our focus group said, we never use this app. Why would we use this app? It's not meaningful to us. So you have to understand your users' needs. Uh, another thing to think about, too, then, and now that you understand your business goals and your users' needs, what are your technical considerations? We talked about the, th- the different types of technical types of apps, right? But, um, mm-hmm. but this really boils back to, are you going to be building it yourself? Are you going to have to highly customize it? Are you right. gonna Are you gonna find an app that's out there and maybe white label? And I know a lot of companies they they allow you to kind of put co-brand your brand into this app, and then you can you know put it out into the market. But even you know even in those cases, there each one of these technical considerations have a lot of things built into that. If you're gonna build it, think about the commitment to that build. That you're gonna yeah. have to not only build it for the current operating system, but you're gonna have to keep that updated. You're gonna have to target multiple different operating systems that are out there. It's a big commitment commitment from a technical perspective. And this is much like, you know, other marketing technologies, like, can you support it? Yeah. And that means a lot of things, you know, to your point, you know, a lot of organizations probably don't really even understand. I mean, you you probably know better than I do just doing this podcast, just uploading a new episode, you know, (laughs) to the world, you know, what that, what that takes. So you can imagine a complex app that does numerous things and resides and needs to be accessible in multiple platforms, i.e., you know, Apple's operating system versus, you know, uh, Android or, you know, whatever. You know, and how does that look on a phone versus a tablet and the experience there? And it's it's a big commitment. It is. And that's why when we talk about, you know, that high, uh, that app that's like more like a mobile website, a lot of organizations may want to do that, right? Where they pull information that they're already updating, maybe on their website, and make it into a mobile package if that's, if that's appropriate. Maybe right. uh, I've seen a lot of campaign apps that are related to that. And so what you're doing is you're, again, back to that cope mentality, right? That you're publishing it on your website, but it's pulling down automatically into it. But if you're going to go white label apps or, you know, partner with people to, to promote their apps, a lot of times those organizations are, are going to give you just a very narrow band of customization that you can do. Right. And, and they want to promote themselves with that app as well. A great use case of that is uh, the MyChart app. When it first went into the market, what would happen is you would download your MyChart patient portal and then you'd be at this screen where, where you'd have a drop down and you'd select the hospital that you're going to be using the MyChart app with. I mean, you start with like the state, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. And then it was yeah. like, <laughs> pick the hospital. So it's like, you know, from the hospital website, you'd go to download this app and basically have to find the hospital all over again. Yeah. You know, it's very strange. Very strange. They don't do that anymore. But the point is, is that a lot of these white label apps um, are there. Yeah. So anyway, technical considerations are a big part yeah. of this, right? And, and a little bit of a, um, uh, an extra tip here. If you have a, a new CMS or a sophisticated CMS, there's a chance that that may, to Chris's point in one of our previous episodes, even around uh, COPE, some of those CMSs allow you to manage, quote unquote, that app via your CMS. And so you can repurpose a lot of that content. So again, just understanding technical considerations 
what the time commitment is, what you're trying to reach and do and things like that is is big. And then once you actually have the app, then what do you do with it? <laughs> exactly. That's the other thing, right? If you're introducing a new app into a marketplace where there's, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of apps right now, how are you going to market or promote that? There's a huge commitment to that to get people to be aware of that. How do you get them right. to not only be aware of it, to then go through the action of yeah. finding it, downloading it, opening it up, and then using it over and over again. And this is always my biggest tripping point of why it's really hard for me to recommend that someone build their own app is the adoption part. How are you gonna get people to do it? Now, there's pluses and minuses. We mentioned white labeling. Uh, there's pluses and minuses to that. You know, The minus is potentially it's a co-branded scenario. You're building, helping build someone else's brand and not your own. And you can kind of get into that philosophical discussion. Now, the upside of it is, is they're also going to be doing marketing activities Mm -hmm. and they're also going to be driving adoption of this app because they need it to be successful and they need you to renew your licensing agreement each year, you know, kind of a thing. So there's, there's a little bit of the onus is on them, but it's still like, Hey, this use case is a great idea, but how are you going to get people to actually use this thing, find it, use it to your point, download it, possibly even sign up for it or log into it. Yeah, I, that's that's a hard one. That is really hard. Um, again, there's got to be a really, really compelling uh, use and benefit to it. Right. And to that end, too, then, right, then how does it fit into the overall patient experience? How does it connect with other things? I mean, again, I, I keep going back to this this pregnancy app. A pregnancy app is a use case for nine months. And then what happens after that nine months? What do you do with them? You want to build an app that's useful, that has utility, that people can use over and over again, that doesn't have a a normal shelf life. And then if they are done with this particular thing, how are you going to connect them to other things? How are you going to continue and extend this along the overall care experience? People that are trying to do population health apps are focusing in on a very narrow window of high risk. Well, once that, that patient gets a little compliant and they're aligned, that app suddenly loses value. You kind of have to take this all into consideration in your strategy and even considering an app. Again, how does this fit within your overall plan? Who's going to use it? Who are you targeting? What is their, what is their benefit going to be? How are you going to maintain it um, and you know, administer it, promote it, drive adoption, you know, things like that? And then, you know, ultimately, you know, what's the life cycle of it and how are people going to use it and how's that going to benefit your organization to what end? What, 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 what is news? Welcome to What's News. Uh, Today we're talking about apps, uh, specifically in hospitals and healthcare, obviously, uh, do have an interesting article today from Marketing Land. Uh, the name of the article, title of the article is 10 Common Mistakes Companies Make with Mobile. So a little bit broader than just apps, but again, a lot of this uh, kind of is overarching philosophical discussion. Again, we're not so much talking about the technology piece of this, but more about strategy, should you, shouldn't you, what are some common pitfalls, mistakes, and things like that. Uh, Aaron Strout uh, wrote this uh, and uh, really, really cool guy. I actually know Aaron, and uh, he is uh, very smart. So yeah. this is a great app. Um, again, as we've kind of talked about, 
um, you know, why you should or shouldn't, even though everybody thinks that they uh, that they want an app. Well, let's jump into it. The first one is assuming your company needs a mobile app. We just talked about that, right? Assuming mm-hmm. that there is a need for an app. But uh, in this uh, in this article, it has links to some research that's been done. A guy from Forrester Research, uh, he actually indicated, there's a great quote here. It says, believing anyone cares enough about your brand to install an app is one of the biggest mistakes companies make when it comes to mobile. And the top loaded, downloaded apps are not even games. They're very useful. Uber and Amazon in 2016 were the two top apps that were being used. Yeah. So it's a utility. You get benefit out of it. Right. All right. Number two creating mobile and desktop experiences in silos. So according to eMarketer, 75% of U.S. internet users will access the web via both their mobile phones and their desktops. Well, in that case, you know, what it's saying is, is if you have a mobile experience or even like an app experience that's maybe a responsive mobile site, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that that information is on your main website too. People go back and forth. They're not just accessing from one or the other. Right. So, you, I mean, obviously you want to be mobile and you want to be you know mobile first, but you want to make sure that your experience is consistent in whatever interface you're getting to that content. The third point is lacking a data collection or aggregation plan. Now, that sounds really oh, technical. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Here <laughs> but, we are. But what it is, though, is really making sure that where you're collecting data and data on people using your apps, etc., um, that should be cons- tied into the back-end systems through your marketing automation, through your CRM. Really, um, you want to be able to harvest that mobile data and think about where that data is coming from, how it's being stored, all of the, the aspects around your data collection, data, data aggregation, and making sure that that's part of your collection of the larger interactions with your your patients, potentially, in this case, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like leaving a stack of brochures somewhere. Yeah. It's like you don't know what happened to those, who read them, what they did with them. And so, uh, yeah, great point. Number four, uh, treating mobile is a bolt-on to the web experience. <laughs> so again, people, I think, thinking that, um, hey, let's just you know make a you know mobile app of our website, so to speak, and not looking at okay from a utility standpoint, how can this be useful? Who would this be for? How do we how do we really bring that one experience forward and uh, you know create something that's that's super super useful? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Number five is getting into mobile advertising. That assuming that mobile advertising is like digital advertising, digital display advertising, but smaller. Well, we know that's not true for anyone of use that have used apps and mobile. There's a variety of ways to promote and um, and do advertising on these platforms, and you have to be really careful, right? You have to understand the mobile advertising strategy. If it's on your website, if it's through other apps, or if it's through your own apps, you have to understand exactly some of the better approaches to that. I I usually recommend that you uh, you look at other industry cases and you work with people that have had experience with this so they can bring that to the table. Absolutely. Number six, viewing responsive design is the only solution. Uh, so really what they're saying here is, uh, you know, for some companies, a responsive website, and we've talked a lot about this, is uh, a necessary step. Their point here is that sometimes on a phone or a tablet, or maybe all the times on a phone and a tablet, your full website just displayed on those devices is not the greatest scenario. 
Um, and so really need to look at those experiences, how they differ between desktop, tablet, mobile, and in this case, even an app, if you're going to do an app, how are those different? You know, what's the use cases for those? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not kind of a one size fits all. And let's just put everything everywhere. It's the same reason that we, you know, try to discourage people from posting the same thing on all the social platforms at the same time. Right. So That's it's exactly right. It's di- different audience. Um, you know, different experience, you know, and, and you need to cater to that. Number seven is kind of related to that too, right? It's putting non-mobile friendly content onto a mobile experience, <laughs> like PDFs, infographics. You talked about this in the patient portal, right? Where you, you maybe have a mobile responsive website that leads people to click on the patient portal. You open it up, the patient portal is optimized for the desktop screen. So that's not a good user experience. And that applies to apps too. There have been, in my early days when I relate, when I released apps, I did at one point have PDFs linked to them. That's not a good experience to look at a PDF from like your smartphone or what have you. So yeah. infographics avoid those sorts of things, right? Anytime you're having to like scroll to the right on your phone <laughs> is, is probably not great. Um, Number eight, forgetting that mobile means smartphones and tablets. I think that's I think that's an interesting point because, and I even fall into this category of just saying mobile, mm-hmm. and that just being the whole ecosystem of anything that's not a laptop or desktop. You know, and really the idea that the experience is different on those. I mean, it's just it's pretty obvious. I mean, the screen, the physical screen, is different. And the size is different, so it's still a touch interface. Mm-hmm. But you have a lot more real estate, so take that into account and use that to your advantage. Right, and you know, and people use uh, their tablets a little bit differently than they do their phones. You know, phones are a lot used on the road when you're mobile, right, so to speak. Right. Um, tablets you might have laying next to your TV while you're sitting there watching TV. That sort of exactly. Thing, right. Second second screen. Second yeah. screen, right? Um, number nine, uh, mistaking mobile first for mobile at all costs, right? <laughs> so mobile first is a great idea because what it does is it allows you to kind of strip down and focus in on a good information architecture, really focus in on the uh, on the information that might be most meaningful, useful. You have a very small screen, but you don't want to do it to the extreme of where you lose a, a better experience. And that's a big point here, Right. You want to take a customer-first approach over mobile-first. And there's some stats that say customer bases, you know, not everybody has smartphones. So don't assume that a mobile-first approach overrides everything else. You want to be able to balance that right. Again, going back to usability and utility. And finally, number 10, for getting to localize mobile content, um, the design and the experience. And what they're talking about here is that the idea that what works in like Asia or Europe doesn't work in the U.S., vice versa. Now, this is probably not quite as important or as big of a deal for most hospitals because they are regional, local, maybe even you know, sole community providers in a lot of cases. I think the idea is, though, make sure as you're distributing this content that it is uh, localized. I mean, all your content may have the same localization, but just make sure it's not so generic and that it's not relevant to that area and this, in a lot of cases, goes back to your content strategy and things like that. Right, right. So these are good top, uh, like a good 10 things to kind of orient yourself as you're going down this mobile approach or you're starting to introduce more and more mobile into your into your overall um, marketing communications approaches. But um, are we missing any? Let, let us know. Give us some comments back. 
uh, we'd love to hear hear from you if we're if you think that this list is missing a few. Yeah, if you've done an app and it's been really successful, I'd like to know about that and, and why. Uh, if you've done an app and it hasn't been successful, uh, I would like to know about that as well. So yeah, track us down online and uh, just give us some feedback. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! Okay, Reed, we're now into the touch point, touch counterpoint segment of this podcast. Um, for those of you who may be just tuning in or you know not familiar with this, this is where Reed and I face off over a particular controversial position on the topic of the podcast, and we try to argue the extreme opposites of it. Um, uh, and just so you guys know, we when we start this this uh, segment, neither one of us knows where the other person, which side the other person is going to take. So we have to be prepared <laughs> to argue either side of this topic. Um, obviously, you know, we chose a topic, and today's topic related to mobile and mobile apps is people actually use apps. Yes or no, Reed? Do you think people actually use apps? Boy, that's a broad. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. In relation to specifically like hospitals and healthcare, they do not use those types of apps. Sure, everybody plays games and uses the mail and texting and stuff like that. I'm not talking about those types of things, but relative to health and hospitals, no, absolutely not. I can't name a person that has one. I, I have I have them all, but that's not probably a good a good barometer. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But I'm going to actually argue that there is, if done right, as we've been talking about, right, with usability and utility, certain apps can be very, very uh, useful. Okay, I'm going to put patient portals aside because we've talked about them in a separate episode. I'm going to talk about like marketing communication apps. If you create an app that's useful, that has utility, that doesn't have sort such a short short uh, shelf life, maybe what you're doing is you're doing like an online bill pay. Maybe what you're doing is you're providing access to health information that is resourceful that people can use over and over again. Or maybe even you're uh, just having like a wayfinding app. Anything that has some sort of long-standing utility, people will actually use it and they'll download Download it and they'll use it over and over again. Nope, never happen. <laughs> Will not happen. Wayfinding is an excellent idea, and all the hospitals already have that app. It's called Google. <laughs> That's it, or the Apple Maps thing, or whatever. <laughs> and so people are already using all those. So again, make sure all your information is right in those platforms, and everybody will find what they need. I just, I don't, I don't see a use case. You know, taking a few of the national leaders out of the equation from some you know content type stuff, but for your you know average hospital, I, this is this is not and shouldn't be a focal point. There's too many other you know too many other things that they can benefit from and spend their time on. Well, I agree. It shouldn't be a focal point, but it should be a natural extension of their digital approach when it makes sense. A mobile app can actually add a very enriching experience. You could create, you can narrow down something very complex. Perhaps, you know, with your cancer institute that you want to create a specific type of application for this type of audience that they'll find extremely useful for patient education to actually get more information to actually learn more. I think there's a lot of value because you can narrow it down that experience to something very localized. Hospitals don't have the expertise, the technology backing to to do any of this. So the best case scenario, they're going to go contract with a vendor 
and they're going to do something they have no control over. They don't have really any insights on, you know, what the benefit or outcome of it was. They're not going to collect any data out of it. It's just not, it's not worth anybody's time. Well, I actually think it is. And I actually think that the whole concept of creating a specific app experience um, is extends way past your mobile phone or even your tablet. More and more uh, other platforms of this Internet of Things are now starting to have this kind of app approach to it, too. So now you can maybe create an app that's in your PS4 or maybe one that's on your local smart TV or even one through your, your home device. This whole concept of apps, which is, you know, again, Focusing on something that's useful and has utility and that also is educational and informative can be a very great way to kind of portable, a portable way to extend your content to these multiple platforms. I think we've tried it. I don't think it works. I think that's pretty obvious. This is just, this is not, this is not the direction we need to go. We got hospitals that still don't have responsive websites uh, or websites that work on mobile devices. So we need to focus in some different areas. Well, I think that we might be overlooking a very important population <laughs> by doing that, right? If you look at um, the fact that who are the people that are most typically using apps? Now, a lot of people think it's it's the younger generations. Well, not necessarily. Um, they may be using some apps or not, but it's a great way to get segment after particular types of audiences that are maybe yeah. not going to your website. Yeah, I, you know, maybe so. Again, I think, you know, we're probably at that place where, you know, it, again, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's very hard to make a case without, you know, knowing a specific strategy, a market, you know, what resources people have. And so all that stuff has to come into play. And so, you know, it's not like, like most of these that we do, there's not one answer or one size that fits all. So, yeah, it's probably somewhere in that middle if, if you have a use case for it. Um, if you've got the budget, you've got the ways to support it, you've got ways to measure the success of it, you've defined what success looks like, just like anything else, mm-hmm. um, yeah, then it's, it's probably you know, somewhere you know, worthy to explore. All right, we're now at the Ask an Expert portion of the uh, of the podcast and so today Chris and I have been talking about apps and what that looks like in healthcare and of course we've been talking an awful lot about hospitals but I'm fortunate to have Joe Doyle join us today and I've known Joe, uh, Joe for oh gosh some years now I guess and uh, has been in a number of agencies uh, around the country specific to healthcare. Uh, run digital efforts for those organizations and have tackled uh, many things, including apps. So, Joe, I appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Reed, and thanks to Chris too. Although he's not on the, the line right now, but yeah, I really yeah, enjoy well, enjoy your podcast it, and glad to be here. Well, tell everybody a little bit uh, before we get started uh, where you're at now, what you're doing, and how they can track you down online if they'd like to. Sure. Uh, well, on Twitter, I'm at Joe Doyle Health. I work for an agency, a digital agency called InTouch Solutions in Chicago. We're one of the largest privately held agencies in the world, specifically working on healthcare. I am the SVP of Strategic Development, uh, and my role is to help all of our clients uh, better visualize what they could be doing with uh, digital technology. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes, so you can uh, you can track Joe down if you'd like. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about kind of the evolution and, 
you know, the, I guess the mindset even around apps, you know, back in the day, quote unquote, but how, how have you seen that kind of shift a little bit? You know, when people used to ask you to build apps to, to today? I think the, the technology with apps has come quite a long ways to helping people with adherence. Uh, I think we still struggle with the fact that apps can be a barrier. It's something somebody has to put on their phone. But if we do think about all of the different medical devices, all the pharmaceutical products, uh, and even physical therapy that somebody has to go through after maybe they've been sick, the idea of being able to track what they've been doing like we would all track our steps uh, or our workouts, uh, the ability yeah. to share that information is still pretty popular and is something that a lot of solutions providers are are thinking about in the healthcare spectrum. So I'm a hospital or a healthcare provider, medical device company, whatever it may be, and I come to you and say, hey, I, you know, I think we need an app. What, you know, what does that trigger? What alarms go off in your mind? <laughs> what, uh, uh, what processes do you, do you feel like? You know, where, where do you go with that from there? How do you work with somebody that thinks that they need an app? Well, to me, it's always very exciting if we can think about how that app or that experience might work with a patient in a very passive way. So if it's a part of their life, it's if it's something that they can access through their watch or if it's something that automatically updates by activities that may be tied to an accelerometer or parts of the hardware that might be associated with an app. Those get me excited. But when somebody comes to us and, and thinks about that, of course, I'm very excited because uh, you know apps and new technology are only going to help drive better outcomes in healthcare. So uh, this idea of value-based medicine and thinking beyond the appointment, thinking beyond the surgery, thinking beyond the drug uh, is pretty important in our, our healthcare world right now. So it, I, I generally get very excited, but the first thing is to really talk about who the users are, will they be willing to use it, and is it something that could be a part of their life without interfering or stopping their life. That's usually where I go right away. I think that's a good point. There's got to be some added value. Um, there's got to be a way that, you know, they participate, you know, without, um, and, and you said something interesting, what you said experience, you know, and so maybe, it, maybe it's not an app, maybe it's a mobile website or some other scenario. So, I mean, how, how do you really decide? Cause you know, an app is a pretty sandboxed, scenario and you got to get somebody to go download that thing you know and, and use it that's true i it's it's interesting because there is that barrier that download barrier the fact that now i have to put something on my device and it it's a little bit of the interference there but if there's some way to project to that person that hey if you get this you won't have to do much more because it's going to understand where you are or who you are um, and it's going to be very easy. I think then you'll have more people using it, but it's getting them over that hurdle first. You know, you may remember the Basis watch when the Basis watch first came out, and then there yeah. was then there was Basis yeah. two. Uh, I remember seeing the gentleman who started that company at South by Southwest, and and talking to him, and I said, you know, I was really happy one day when I was riding my bike, and I forgot to set any sort of marker that that's what I was doing, but my basis, my basis to watch, automatically understood how fast I was going and that my heart rate was at such a level that I was riding my bike. And it started to automatically uh, 
take down the fact that I was uh, that I was doing uh, a bike ride, that I was on a bike ride. So yeah. it was recording it, and that was a sense of delight. I was like, "This is amazing! Like they did it for me. I had no idea and didn't even start it." And if there were more experiences like that, people would be more apt to having your app or your experience on their person or on their phone because it's it's not interrupting them. That's a really good point. I, there's an app. I think I recommended it on the podcast a few episodes back that I use called uh, Mile IQ, and it tracks my mileage for like expense reports, you know. And like I don't have to start it and stop it every time I get in the car and get out of the car and stuff like that. It just knows that I drove somewhere. And so then when next time I open up my app, I'll have 12 drives to classify as like personal or business. And then I just go on my life. And at the end of the month, I can export this PDF and away I go. So to your point, I don't have to remember to use it, but yet it provides value at some juncture in my life. So that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. So, I mean, if we start thinking about specifically hospitals in this case, you know, I can think about, you know, medical device companies and things like that and go, okay, um, you know, wearables, ingestibles, you know, whatever it may be. I can see how some of that stuff may fit. I, where do hospitals go with this? Um, or healthcare providers for that matter. You know, I mean, it's, it's much more, um, you know, when we first started this, it was like, you know, your website, but it was an app, you know, and like, that's a terrible idea. And so, uh, and then maybe wayfinding, which is not not terrible, but I don't know. It's a little incrementally, a little bit better. So where where do we go? Like, what's next? I mean, do do we have apps for hospitals? Is that a thing? I mean, I you know, I don't know. What would make it valuable? Well, it's funny you just mentioned wayfinding, and in my head went the, a picture of somebody walking around the corner with their iPhone in front of them and bumping into somebody else, wheeling somebody down the down the hallway because they weren't looking at where they were going. Instead, they were looking at their phones. So uh, good idea, bad idea, whatever. It's just a funny visual that popped in there. But I feel I feel like when it comes to apps and hospitals, that there may be other solutions out there for us to, to think about. You know, there's been a lot of talk around artificial intelligence, around bots. Um, imagine leaving the hospital or getting a notification via your phone uh, that your checkout's been approved and somebody's coming to get you and they're going to take you downstairs. And then once you leave, uh, you know, thanking you for uh, for your time at the hospital, maybe prompting you to take a survey. And then maybe the next day, even following up, how are you feeling? Is there anything we can do mm-hmm. for you? This same sort of VIP white glove service could even happen coming from the doctor's office. You leave the doctor's office for a specific moment and it doesn't really require somebody to enter anything. It could be automated once you once you check out from the doctor's office, it automatically comes to you. Um, I feel like this is something that's very personal. Uh, when, when somebody's in my text messages, it's somebody who I know, uh, it's somebody who I trust, uh, it's a person, um, and that's what we've been programmed to think about, whereas an app is typically a piece of software, and we understand it to be so. It's more right. more of something that is uh, right. inhumane. In so I think there's different technologies that might be out there, but um, instead of apps that could be used. What, what does that mean for the hospital now? So... I want to I want to do an app. You know, what what are my next steps? What should I be thinking about? That's that's a really great point. When a group of executives at a hospital is sit, sitting around a room and saying, 
what we could, what could we be doing to offer better services to or solutions to our patients i think you really need to whiteboard what you think would be a really good solution and break it down to the basics like better communications the ability to get around the hospital better and all of those things may not be answered with an app they may be answered you mentioned wayfinding with better signs Um, better communications may be something that is solved through a bot rather than an app itself or it could be that when it comes down to payments uh, and various other operational type activities from a hospital, that those would be extremely valuable to certain people who visit the hospital on a regular basis. So I think that taking these individual needs into consideration and boiling, boiling them down to the very basics and not necessarily thinking that an app is always the solution, uh, but just really getting back to the basics of what you're hoping to do for people who use the hospital would be the best bet. Joe, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Again, we'll have uh, links in the show notes on how to track Joe down, but you can find him on Twitter, LinkedIn, and all over the intrawebs. So we appreciate it. We look forward to having you back on soon. Thanks, guys. All right, here we are at the end. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around and all the feedback that we've gotten. Let's do a few recommendations. Absolutely. Well, since this is a mobile app uh, episode, I'm going to recommend an app. <laughs> and that app is called No Wait. So, I, I Reed, I don't know. You, have you ever used Open Table where you made reservations at restaurants and things? And have you ever used sure. apps like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So here in Minneapolis, I found that a lot of uh, restaurants are not really on Open Table, which I feel is kind of maybe a lost cause or maybe missing. But part of it is is because they uh, they have quite a bunch of walk in traffic. Um, they have a lot of people that come in. It's kind of hard. They want to leave some tables open. They don't know the best way to do this. So what I've noticed is a lot of restaurants have started on this new app called No Wait. And what No Wait is, is basically like putting your name on a waiting list, but doing it virtually. It's a really cool interface. It says, okay, you're on the waiting list. Um, obviously, the, hospital, uh, the, the restaurant has to participate in this. But sure. then what happens is it tells you you have X number of people in front of you. And it gives you an estimated timeline of like when your table will be ready. Now what's really cool about it is the interface is really great because every time someone gets sat, either they come in or they're using this app, the little graphic, one person goes away and you're closer and you're closer and you have this almost like real time tick down to when your table's gonna be ready. Found it tremendously useful, it's very interesting and I'm finding more and more um, restaurants, I keep saying hospitals, but more and more restaurants are using this as a way to maybe um, not have a book time for reservations, but deal with that kind of real time app. Kind of get in line. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Very cool. No wait. Very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, I'm also going to recommend an app, the Hilton app. And so I find myself staying in a fair amount of Hilton branded hospi- uh, hospitals. <laughs> Uh, that'd be kind of interesting, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> Hilton branded uh, hotels. So that's Hilton, Hampton Inn, Hilton Garden Inn, et cetera, uh, traveling around. And so I found the app really useful. You know, I actually even book the hotels through the app now. Uh, I check in uh, through the app. I can, um, you know, send notes uh, back if I need to um, to, uh, to them, letting them know like what time I'll be there and be, you know, actually be in the room and stuff like that. If they're equipped uh, with a digital key, 
uh, I can just request that, get that on my phone, and just go straight to the room. So, really cool app, uh, really handy uh, for anybody that travels a fair amount or books a fair amount of uh, hotel rooms. And you don't have to talk to anyone. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly. awesome. Well, Reed, um, that's a great recommendation. I just used it actually on my trip this week, and it was really, really useful. So, awesome. Um, yeah. All right, Reed. Well, great episode, episode 14 in the can about mobile apps and um, if there is value around using apps or not. Really appreciated it. Um, For those of you listening in, we really appreciate your feedback. Uh, We would love for you to jump online. If you could, maybe review us on iTunes. And if you find a lot of value for this, go ahead and recommend us to a friend because we really want to keep the word spreading about the value that we do. And also, please, don't hesitate to give us feedback. Tell us, you know, what, what you'd like to hear from us in future episodes. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Uh, Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.